The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Our listeners have been contacting the show over the weeks about unclean, overcrowding and distressing experience at A&E services across the country. The trolley crisis continues, although there are some reported improvements. So we wondered, is there something that can be done fairly quickly? Uh, The long-term solution, of course, is more personnel, uh, quicker discharges from hospitals and more hospital bed availability. There may be long-term interim solutions, but what can we do now? I'm joined by retired consultant in emergency medicine, columnist with the Irish Medical Times, Chris Luke, and by Tony O'Brien, former Director General of the HSE. Good morning and welcome to you both. Good morning, Good morning, Pat. All right, uh, Chris, um, you've been talking to us about this over uh, the months and now, it it appears over the years, about what's going wrong in A&E. And one of the most serious consequences, some people are dying who do not have to die. Yeah, Uh, it's been a sort of... a shock, if not a surprise, to learn over the last few years from a growing number of studies from Australia, from the, the States, and now increasingly from the UK and Ireland, to find that we can now uh, predict, I suppose, on a public health level, uh, the number of excess deaths uh, that are related or associated with or correlated with uh, delays. Uh, and one of the most recently promulgated uh, reports, the, the study, uh, suggested that for every 82 people, who were waiting, say, six hours or longer on a trolley, there was one excess death. Now, the reasons for death, is it uh, diagnosis was delayed? For example, uh, if someone comes in and they have had a stroke, but that stroke is not diagnosed, another stroke follows. A clot buster might have saved them from that second fatal stroke. In a nutshell, yes. I mean, it, it doesn't... I think most people who've been in a busy, overcrowded, smelly, noisy, overlit emergency department will understand that they can't possibly recognise the subtle changes in that elderly gentleman's face. He's gone pale, he's not talking with the way he was an hour or so ago and he can't move his left arm, but no one's asked him that. But, it's, I mean, someone with him might be able to discern that and call for if help they could and find they won't a get nurse, help. But yeah. if they could find a nurse, because things are so bad so often now in terms of the chaos, the congestion and the overcrowding and the understaffing that you can go for 20, 30, 40 minutes without being able to get hold of a nurse. Now, they are all flat out, and I can speak from bitter experience over three and a half to four decades of working in the trenches that uh, increasingly... All the staff are working flat out. Now, what, what about uh, things that arise from a delayed admission? You're on a trolley or in a chair for hours on end. I mean, there's the possibility of dehydration. Could that lead to a fatality? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, dehydration is probably quite a dramatic notion, but you can imagine that someone would go for, say, three, four, five hours without any nourishment or catering or, or, or water, unless there's somebody with them who's minding them. You know what? But this is exactly what happens in places like Zambia when I was a medical student. It was the relations, the relatives who minded them, did most of the nursing care. And that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Which is not where we want to be. Which is certainly at, not where we all. want to be. And then we're being told by the HSE, because of flu and COVID is still knocking around, go in on your own if you can. Yeah. Don't bring a relative who might bring infection in or might pick up infection, but also will occupy a chair that we need for a patient. Yeah. And I, to, to be fair, there's got to be a sweet spot there. I mean, frightened elderly people need 
a daughter, a husband. Uh, they need somebody with them. They need an advocate as well. They need an advocate. They need moral support. They need someone to hold their hand and reassure them and explain what's going on. They may have slight cognitive impairment and they simply do not understand what's going on in the unfamiliar noisy surroundings. Now, uh, Tony, you were former Director General of the HSC and you know, we could all be pointing the finger at you and say, in your time, the trolley crisis was there. Uh, it may have uh, worsened, but it was there. Um, five-day rosters instead of seven-day rosters, they were there. And people would say, why didn't you do something about it when you were in charge? Well, I, 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 I'm not going to get all defensive about that. I think the, no, the, but the, the, <laughs> This the, is what people are thinking, though. May, you know? Maybe so. I think the, the, real, the real question is, what's been done since and is it working? And obviously, when I, when I was there, we were coming out of the financial crisis. We didn't have the staff to move to seven over seven or six over seven. We were on five over seven rosters. We didn't have the bed capacity. And one of, some of the things we've seen recently, which are probably showing up in the improved figures, which don't change the individual experience that patients have if they're delayed in hospitals, but we are seeing some improvements in the system, additional consultants appointed, additional bed stock, but the challenge is keeping pace with the changes in our population. So we know, for example, that the number of patients presenting over 75 has increased considerably because there are more such patients, more such people in our population. So that the challenge for the system is to remodel itself continuously to meet the needs of a changing population. Was the idea of 7 over 7 rostering (coughs) um, discussed in your time? Yes, certainly. Or was it just a no-no? Well, it wasn't possible to do it because we weren't in a position to recruit the additional staff. As you probably know, in 2012, there was a decision taken around the pay, the pay rates for consultants, which effectively led to a very large number of consultant vacancies. That seems to have now been resolved. We're seeing additional consultants appointed. And people in the system tell me that in many of the hospitals that are now seeing improved performance, we were effectively moving to a six over seven situation. And over time, with the additional staff necessary to make that a 7 over 7, that will undoubtedly improve the performance. In other words, people will be discharged um, more rapidly when they're fit to be discharged. There is also the problem of no step-down beds and people in those step-down beds that do exist, they want to go home, but there's no home care. Do do you know... All of these things fit together. Clearly... There is no limit to the number of patients who can present at an emergency department. The emergency departments become overcrowded when there are patients who have been selected for admission, they've been diagnosed as needing a hospital bed, but there isn't a hospital bed for them. And sometimes those beds aren't available because the patients in them aren't in a position to be, have had a delayed transfer of care to another location. So clearly the solution lies in fixing all of those things. What's interesting is that as we've seen some of those measures being implemented, we compare this year, say, with 2019, the year before the the pandemic, so it's a more comparable year, we are seeing significant improvements in both trolley weights and the numbers. Now, it's no consolation to any individual patient, but it is a sign that the measures being put in appear to be having the right effect. So consequently, that means we need more of them. Okay, so we're doing the right things, but not enough and and not in as timely a fashion as we would like to do. I suspect it would be difficult to do most of those things more quickly. You know, once you've sorted out consultant pay and begun to be in a position to recruit more consultants, that takes time. In addition, if you want the hospital to work seven over seven, not the staff, but the hospital to work seven over seven, you need all of the other professions that you need available on Mm. Saturdays and Sundays as well. And then obviously the community services to support that. So it does take time to do that. I'm slightly encouraged by what I'm seeing 
in terms of the measures that have been taken in the last four years and the impact that is now manifest in emergency Um, Just going back to your experience with the HSE and how uh, funds and the patients interact. I mean, the idea that it's costing so many hundreds of euro to keep someone in a hospital bed overnight for one night. Mm. And then you look at what it would cost to give them home care in the community, which is a fraction of that, perhaps for, you know, several hours or a couple of hours a day for a whole week. Mm. Um, You know, that is still the case that people can't get home care. Is that where we need to start, actually, to to have a a very vital, well-paid home care cohort so that at least that blockage is eliminated and then it works its way backwards? Well, every, every blockage in the system, which is something that adversely affects patient care, needs to be resolved, every single one of them. So that relates to patients who may need support in the home, a home care package. It relates to those who may need to be able to access a nursing home bed more rapidly. It also relates to the provision of therapies, to the availability of of more quickly of tests that would otherwise delay a patient's discharge. And obviously it requires sufficient doctors to be employed by the system to be able to do ward rounds and discharge on a seven-day basis in situations where they may not currently be yeah. able to do so. But I'm wondering, do we start with the home care? Because if there's no room in the home care, then the nursing homes cannot be emptied. Therefore, the acute beds cannot be emptied. You know, you have to start at where the problem lies and work your way back. Well, I think you have to start with all the problems <laughs> and do a little bit on all of them. I agree. You, you, I agree. You, you can't just do home care. No, I, I'm just saying that, that that will still remain a blockage while we have people in home care who were not remunerated properly, not even given mileage and not properly paid for the work they I do. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, we need to mind our staff. It's one of the key, the, you know, if there's four or five things we need to do uh, and do them now is we need to urgently cherish our staff at every level, but particularly those who are in the, the, the lower paid cohorts, like the nursing care assistants. Yeah. Now, now suppose we, we begin to do this and do it uh, quickly. That'll be grand, but you still have... Uh, a war zone sometimes yeah. in A and E. I know you were taken by one of the reports from uh, one of our listeners who said it reminded her of the last day of electric picnic. The toilets in yeah. a particular. Yeah, and I've hospital. been in electric picnic. I can, I can uh, you know, verify what she was saying. I mean, that was Sinead on yeah. uh, on Monday. I was yeah. I was driving up to Dublin as it as it happened. I was listening very carefully, and I was and I, I was just utterly dismayed by her account uh, of her sojourn in the crowded corridor of uh, the Mayo Hospital Emergency Department and the filth and and, and dirt uh, and the the overflowing effluent in in the toilet. And, you know, that's one of the things that gets me very, very cross, uh, Pat, and has done for for, for 40 years because, you know, I started life in St. Vincent's, which where you could eat your food off the, the floor in, in the good yeah. old days. And then I went on to Lochlinstan, di- Ditto, and on and on and on. Every hospital I worked at... What went wrong? Um, discipline is one thing. Because, I mean, you have spillage teams now, nowadays. I don't know whether they're subcontracted I, or I, whether I, they are members of staff. That's where I think the problem began with subcontracting. What, I mean, there was a wonderful woman in the Mercy Hospital who was sort of the doyen of the emergency department, Roma, uh, the late Roma Blesser, uh, who was the, 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 the senior cleaner. She owned the department. And as long as she ran her, uh, the department and her team, it was pristine. So it, she felt it was a stain on her if Precisely. things were not pristine. And, and if people don't have a sense of, like the, the park keeper, for example, if you don't have uh, someone who has personal sense of ownership and pride in, in what they do uh, and a sense of also influence, this idea of autonomy, 
and and some kind of influence on, on their on their workload. And that all this subcontracting out has been very detrimental. So I would like to see someone like Francis Brennan be employed, a czar, as it were. And Francis Brennan's in every hospital because the, 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 something that should have nothing, in a sense, to do with the nursing and medical and healthcare staff is the cleanliness and the catering and the, the availability of chairs and things like simple things, Pat, that really matter, like uh, distraction, reading material uh, and so forth, so that you don't feel your time is completely wasted in addition to being miserable. The, the, the whole question, though, of cleaning teams, I mean, uh, I don't know how much any of the subcontracted people would know about infection control, about cross-contamination, um, and it really needs people to be professionally trained as cleaners. People often look down on people who do menial work. It's not the way it should be. Those cleaning teams, those infection control teams, effectively, if someone vomits, if someone uh, discharges feces or urine onto a floor, you've got to make sure that that floor is, is clean to the point of uh, no infection possibilities after they've finished their work. Yeah, well, uh, we don't want to overemphasize that because a recent science has suggested, for example, the last five, ten years, that actually leaving a hospital bedroom window open is probably better than sealing it because you need exchange between the microbiome within the hospital uh, itself and outside because otherwise you generate, you grow, you cultivate toxic bacteria. Okay, a Francis Brennan type of person yeah. who has responsibility. To look after all the hotel and the accommodation aspect of every emergency department. Okay. Um, the, the question of communication is a big one as far as I'm concerned having been in A&E's and people are thirsty for information. When am I going to be seen? What is happening? Tell me more. I've given my bloods. When will there be a result coming in for my dad or my mum or whatever it is? All of those things. Often there is a, there's a deafening silence. Yes, 100%. And one of the things that might help to ex- expedite communication in future, I'm sure Tony, I, I doubt if Tony would disagree, is an electronic health record where people, for example, I mean, the priority in terms of sharing and uh, excellent communication is between institutions. I mean, very often I've had to transfer patients, for example, from CUH in Cork up to Beaumont for urgent neurosurgical treatment. And in the absence of shared imaging radiology facilities and the absence of shared electronic health patient records, there's all this. You have to go over and over. Every time you meet a new person, you get asked the same questions over and over again. A lot of that can be done away with if you have one centralised electronic health record that can be shared between institutions. And that also includes GPs because one of the great, again, problems is uh, the hospital and the GP communicating because GPs are, are, are driven mad when a patient they sent in is sent back out without any information. Uh, the nuns ran the hospitals, no nonsense tolerated. There was a touch of that, but we live in a different era, so we can't go back there. A&E has not changed since the 1960s. Hard seats, no ticketing system, so people are afraid to, to leave the area even to go to the toilet. Yeah. Uh, because they might be called. Yeah, this is where the likes of Francis Brennan, who knows his business, can can work around all that sort of stuff. Because the absence of that sort of thing, prioritising comfort and and and, and fairness, is easily done away with. So those are things that could be relatively quick fixes. Yes, and this is what we're looking for, uh, Tony. Any quick fixes that you can think of? Well, I, I think it's more of what we've seen recently. We have to increase the overall workforce. We have to match the number of beds to the requirements of each hospital. Some of that is being done. Some of the quick fixes, let's, let's be clear, I don't think we should be overly negative about the quality of cleaning staff. I think many of them are very excellent. Many of them are trained. Same too with home, home care staff. I think there's been a big change in the, in the last 12 months around mileage and so on. 
clearly there are not sufficient home care staff. No, but the thing about contracting staff is that you don't necessarily have the same people all the time. They don't necessarily have a sense of ownership of the well, job. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with, with, any, with any of that, but at the same time, I don't think we should in a blanket way suggest that because some of these cleaning functions are con- carried out on a contracting out basis at the individual but staff. The problem, though, Tony, is that we diligent. keep hearing these, these awful mm. reports from real people about real scenarios in real emergency departments. So the problem is very real, and I completely agree with you. You know, and I, by the way, before I, before, before I forget, we have made huge progress in our health system over the last 20, 25 years. So let that, not, you know, I, I must say that. Now, we always say get through the gatekeepers, yeah. which are, yeah. tend to be the A&E departments and the can I know, offer another, medical treatment is wonderful. Can I offer another quick fix? If, if, I, if I was in charge, I'd appoint a staff care czar, someone who made sure that people like my medical daughter uh, do not have to sleep in dirty uh, bed, bed linen, uh, they can get some hot food in, in the wee hours when they're in between cases yeah. in, in, in the theatres that are operating all night uh, and that they don't have to keep applying for ID cards and uh, guard of vetting every single time, every three or six months they move from a department within the same building or from one institution to, to another, even within the same city or health area. Mm. Um, one of the other things, the minor injuries uh, uh, clinics that might be there, the medical centres, uh, sometimes the medical centres we have, and there are relatively few after I think Mary Hart introduced the whole concept many, many, many years ago. We ended up with teams uh, rather than places. And even where we have places, they won't be open at midnight when you might need them for your um, your broken arm or, or whatever. Well, my, minor injuries units do a very effective job. I had to use one myself not long before Christmas. I was in and out in two hours with my toe stitched. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the full emergency department. So it is important that where they're available, and there are public ones and there are private ones, that people use those rather than going to full acute emergency departments, which are dealing with the more serious cases. So, Because yeah. uh, you're not going to be seen in a crowded A&E. You might be sitting in a chair overnight with your uh, broken ankle or whatever it might be. Uh, you might be in pain, but they'll say, I've got someone with a stroke, someone with a heart attack, someone with a brain injury. Well, triage, I can't, I can't yeah. see you. Well, triage is really important. So, so clearly the, the emergency department has to deal with the patients that present in order Chris, of the severity. The problem is triage, Tony, often fails because if you come in at 9pm with a, a significant injury, let's say, uh, you may be assessed with your blood pressure, your oxygen levels, your heart rate and so on. But by the time you're seen two hours later, that triage assessment is actually meaningless. So I would, I, I'm completely au fait with triage and I, you basically you, you do it as quickly as you can and, and as often as you can. But actually, what, I think what you're both talking about there is the need for a hierarchy of provision. And that's actually evolving. So you have super duper central departments like the Mater and CUH, uh, which ha- were all singing, all dancing, with a really time critical care of the major injuries and the major sep- and so on the major paediatric cases. Then you have a slightly less urgent case, for example, in, in, in Lachlanstown uh, or in a smaller hospital that deal with patients who can wait for, say, 6 to 12 hours. And here's a really important idea. 70 to 80% of what we see in an A&E department, uh, Pat, can wait. They are ambulatory. They walk in and hopefully they walk out again and they generally can wait. And here's a really important idea. We need to manage expectations. We need to encourage self-care and we need to understand that, for example, most things that go to a local injury unit, and they're brilliant and we urgently need more of them, but most things that go to an LIU can wait for 6 to 12 hours. And actually, that's important because... But we should tell them that. Go home. That's expectation. Come back to us in the morning. Correct. But what we need to develop urgently is the capacity for an appointment system 
for your for your trauma. They say theater, surgery is trauma by appointment, but we also need a system where we can have appointments for our trauma. So if you have an injury on the Sunday, uh, you can somehow make an appointment for, if it's not life-threatening, you can be seen the following day or the day after by appointment. Tony? I, I agree with that. that, that we, we've heard some stories even this week of patients who probably should have been sent away and asked to come back by appointment. And as the capacity of the system to offer those appointments is improved with additional appointments, I think that's the way we're going. We've done that in Cork for years, but only on an ad hoc basis, and it needs to be rolled out and made available because it suits the staff as well as the patient. All right. Some of the uh, comments coming in. I'm a retired nurse. With regard to a Francis Brennan in every hospital, we used to have that. They were called... Matron. Yes. Uh, when the nuns left hospital duties, overall the hygiene duties took a nosedive, says Vincent in NACE. Uh, positive comment on the health service. I'm 72, luckily not too much connection with the health service, but any time I've had to visit a hospital, it was a great service, including yesterday in Navan Hospital. I arrived two hours early for my x-ray appointment. They did my x-ray five minutes after I arrived and I was out the door after 15 minutes. A great experience. Um, and that makes sense if they've got capacity and the guy arrives early. Get get him through. Get him out. Um, the elephant in the room are visitors to Irish hospitals. They want to visit all hours of the day and night. They order takeaways, dump the containers in overflowing bins, bring back official visiting hours. Uh, and more people calling for uh, nuns to be brought back. And too many chiefs, too few Indians, too many managers who are not suitable for the role. Not enough people on the floor to care and manage patients rather than manage staff. Final comments. Yeah. Well, the, the word discipline, I, I mentioned that at the beginning, that's what the nuns brought. We need more discipline. We need better behaviour behavior in waiting areas, for example. And ideally, there should be just one uh, nominated person per, per patient. And finally, finally, Pat, my, I'd love to see a citizens' assembly looking at all of this because the people who are not involved in the actual management or provision on a day-to-day basis, but the way we had it for drugs, a proper analysis by 100 p- citizens carefully ch- chosen to actually look at the real problems and prioritise and decide... Here's the thing. We should have emergency pro- departments, not A&D. A&D stands for anything and everything. And so long as there's only one portal of access or doorway into the health system, there will be overcrowding at that doorway. All right. Uh, final words from you, Tony. Well, officially, they are called emergency departments, but the media never does. Yeah, A&D. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with the notion of a citizens' assembly, but I do take comfort from the fact that despite the increase in our population, despite the increase in our over-75 population, which is a sign of success... We are now seeing significant reductions in the total numbers of people on trolleys and the length of time they're on them. And that means we're going in the right direction. All right. To you both, uh, Chris Luke and Tony O'Brien, thank you very much for joining us in studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.